This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. You don't play to just play it. That's the great thing about sports. You play to win. And I don't care if you don't have any wins. You go play to win. When you start telling me it doesn't matter, then retire. Get out. Because it matters. I think we definitely need a little bit of Herm Edwards in our next head coach. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Fresh Breath of Jets podcast. We are now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and wherever else you can find podcasts. Today, we're going to be taking a deep dive on the latest developments in the Jets' head coaching search. We'll take a look at Justin Fields' performance in the national championship game, we'll break down wildcard weekend, and take a look at the upcoming divisional games this weekend. I wanted to start off with some, uh, some recent Jet coaching development updates so far. Um, some guys I failed to mention last week with some interest from the Jets, but there's been no uh, official word on them. Uh, Wink Martindale, defensive coordinator of the Baltimore Ravens, he wasn't accepting interviews last week due to game planning for the Titans. Uh, Dan Mullen, head coach of Florida, although he's come out and said uh, there's not a lot of interest there. He hasn't accepted any interviews, and same goes for Pat Fitzgerald, Northwestern head coach. Last week, I talked about how Matt Campbell was my number one uh, pick to be Jets head coach the next year. He's come out and said that he will not be accepting any interviews. This comes directly from his Twitter account, quote, So grateful for the commitment of so many to continue to want to build our program together. Our foundation has been built on loyalty and faithfulness and will continue to be, be our guiding light. Humbled and grateful to continue to lead to be different. So this pretty much means Campbell is not going to be uh, looking for a head coaching gig this year in the NFL. It, it seems to me that he's more looking to move on to a, a higher, higher tier program, somewhere like Michigan, Ohio State, uh, a blue chip program like that. So it might be, it might be a few years before um, he decides to take that leap to the NFL. But over overnight, uh, I'm recording this January 13th, uh, Robert Sala was the first of the Jets head coaching candidates to be brought back for a second interview and to actually be brought into the facility as uh, the, the first round of interviews had to be conducted digitally due to, due to COVID. He allegedly got there at around 7 o'clock last night and was there until almost 1. I got a shout out Bush guy on Twitter, at uh, Optimistic Jets. He was camped out outside of one Jets drive all night long waiting for any developments. Gotta respect it. Um, go follow him on Twitter, at Optimistic Jets, a.k.a. Bush guy. The hero we deserve. Um, <laughs> so another recent development this week was Doug Peterson, head coach of the Eagles, was fired. According to sources, him and uh, general manager Howie Lurie, didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things, especially on the future vision of the team. So they, they decided to uh, mutually part ways. Peterson this week came out and, and said to some reporters that he was going to take take some time and discuss with his wife, see what he was going to do for the 2021 football season, maybe take a step back for a year, maybe go look for another job. Uh, we'll see what happens. But he's been heavily linked to the Jets due to his relationship with general manager Joe, Joe Douglas and their relationship that they built while they were both in Philadelphia. Me personally, I don't see this as a good hire for the Jets. It's obviously, it's not the same. <laughs> Before I say this and anyone gets mad, 
it, it, it almost feels like the Adam Gase retread hire. And I'm not saying Adam Gase is, is even close to the coach that Peterson is, but it's just another retread. And that's just not what the locker room needs right now. They don't need to, they don't need a coach to come in here demanding respect because he was already a former head coach. We need a fresh face, someone who can galvanize the troops and just start building this thing the right way. And I think as of right now, Maybe it's because I've had so much time to mentally prepare myself for the hire, but Sala has gotten me really excited, um, especially with all this second interview stuff, him coming back to the facility. I think he would be a great hire for the Jets, and not only am I excited about him, but I'm excited about the staff that he'd bring with him. He was the best man at a, at a Matt LaFleur's wedding, the head coach of the Packers. I mentioned that last week. And Mike LaFleur is the passing game coordinator in San Francisco. And I, I could definitely see... Sala bringing him over as offensive coordinator to uh, head up the offensive side of the ball and him, you know, just being the leader, maybe bouncing over the defense for a little bit, maybe bouncing into the offense, you know, just normal head coaching stuff. But I, I'm really starting to like the Sala hire if it does come to fruition. And I think that is probably the best option for the, for the Jets out there right now besides a few other guys. The next thing I wanted to talk about, next thing I wanted to break down a little bit, uh, we have Justin Fields' performance in the national championship game. So, obviously, Monday night we had a, a blowout via Alabama of Ohio State. I watched, like, about the first half, and then I just kind of started clicking off, clicking back on. I wasn't paying too much attention to it, but I was able to watch some Justin Fields' film from the game, and I got to say, it, 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 was, it was a tough game for him. I, I still like the way he moves. I still like the way he moves the ball, his throwing, all that stuff, but... He left a few plays out in the field on Monday night. Um, in the in the in the first half, there there was two open receivers for what, what would have been touchdowns, and it could have kept the game a little bit closer more early on. Fields, uh, his stat line by itself, it was 17 of 33 for one touchdown. Uh, a few drop picks by the Alabama defense. Most of them were were tips, though. Um, now one could argue that this this could be his his injury lingering from last week or, or the last game. The hip, the hip, hip flexor or the ribs, but regardless, this just didn't make anything easier for the Jets in that number two overall pick and what decision they're going to have to make. To me, this this feels a lot like the quarterback conundrum from 2017. McCagnan had just drafted Hackenberg in the second round the year before, and going into the 2017 draft with that six overall pick, they no one was really sure who they were going to pick at six, who was going to be there, what if they're going to they're going to take a quarterback if even. They had Watson there. You had Mahomes available at six, and they ended up trading, or excuse me, uh, drafting Jamal Adams, which obviously played out the way it did. Um, but the moral of the story here is is the Jets passed on a, on a quarterback because of Hackenberg, because of the quarterback they already had waiting in the wings. Now, I'm I'm not saying in the slightest that Sam Darnold is Christian Hackenberg, but I think what I'm really trying to get at here is is the Jets thought they had something in Hackenberg and they passed on guys like Watson and Mahomes. And imagine how different the franchise would be today if they had had said, you know what, maybe Hackenberg was, isn't showing it, let's take Watson, let's take Mahomes, who they both had in for workouts and interviews, combine, pre-draft, all that kind of stuff. And just just think about where, where we would be now as, as, a, as a franchise. Maybe we wouldn't be as successful as the Chiefs because of Andy Reid. I don't know, the Texans are still pretty garbage. <laughs> But I don't, I'm not really too sure. I'm not saying Sam was set up to succeed here in New York. Obviously, when a young quarterback has to deal with two different offensive systems, two different GMs, two different coaches in three years, 
it, it, it's more likely than not that he's not going to succeed in that situation. And I think it's just best if we both part ways, let Sam try and revive his career somewhere else. There's no doubt in my mind that he, he he's going to be Ryan Tannehill 2.0. But I just think we're two years away from, from, from paying him 25 mil plus a year. It's just not worth it. We, we, need, we need to keep building this team, and we can't do that if we're paying a quarterback. We have to have one on that rookie deal. Now let's break down some, uh, some of the wild card games from this past weekend. So starting up first, we got the Colts at Bills game uh, Saturday at 1 o'clock. That was a, a really great game. Uh, I thought it was really entertaining. You know, Josh Allen versus Phillip Rivers, the new versus the old. Um, one of my first takeaways was I, I loved hearing the fans back in the stands. I know Buffalo had about, like, 6,000 fans, I think, that they were allowed, but you could still hear them. You know Bill's Mafia was rocking over there, their first home playoff game in, 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 what, 20 years, something like that. I think the Colts had the right game plan going in. Just keep trying to pound that ball, keep Josh Allen on the sideline, and it, it started looking pretty good for the Colts in the beginning, I gotta say. Uh, but the turning point that definitely really started—you you really started to think the Bills were going to take this one—was uh, the Colts were driving late in the second quarter. Uh, they were up ten to seven, I believe, something like that, and they went for it on fourth down. And Rivers threw threw a ball in the, in the back left corner of the end zone to Michael Pittman, and it slipped right through his hands. It was—he he was outstretched as much as he could. It was just just an inch or or so too far for him. It was incomplete turnover on downs, and then Buffalo went on a 96-yard touchdown drive to cap off the first half, and that was really kind of the uh, the the knife in the heart there for Colts. Um, Buffalo came out the second half, was moving the ball a lot quicker. Indy just kept settling for field goals. And I have to say, uh, Josh Allen to Stephon Diggs might be one of the best connections in the NFL right now. That trade has paid dividends for the Bills, and it, it might even help them moving forward, depending how long Diggs stays and you know how that plays out. Um, the Colts had a nice two-minute offense uh, when things got a little tight in the second half. They were moving the ball pretty easily against that Bills defense, which has been pretty suspect all year. Um and they really did come come pretty close to winning this game, but in the end, Buffalo was able to hold off the Colts' late comeback. Allen almost fumbled the game away, uh, actually. He, he coughed it up, and the ball went back like 10, 15 yards, and luckily a Bills offensive lineman was able to jump on top of it to salvage the game. The Colts had one last chance at the end to, to try and take a take the lead or tie it up with a field goal to send it to OT, but they just couldn't, couldn't get past around. I think it was around the 50-yard line. That one fumble called with um, Zach Pascal, where he got up and then got stripped. I, I think that was definitely the wrong call by, by the referees in that situation. He, he caught the ball, went down. No one touched him, and he got back up, and the ball was punched out. And I think that was the wrong call by the refs, but obviously it didn't change the outcome of the game too much. Um, Colts are a good team. I think definitely if they're able to make a move for a quarterback this offseason, they could definitely do some more damage in the playoffs next year. I see maybe trading for Wentz. Uh, pairing up with Frank Reich again, or maybe even Darnold. You know, if you want to send us your your second round pick or your first round pick, guys. I mean, you you could you could make a run next year. I'm just saying, just saying, Colts. If you're listening to me, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a it was a very entertaining game. It was a nice way to kick off the wild card weekend. The Bills took it 27-24, and you know, goodbye, Philip Rivers. Uh, it, I, I've watched you the past ten years. He's always going to be one of my favorite quarterbacks. He's a gunslinger. And definitely a first ballot Hall of Famer. 
So next up we have uh, the Rams at the Seahawks game. John Wolford obviously got the start to kick off this one. Jared Goff was, I think, like 12 days removed from getting three pins stuck in his thumb. And going into the game, I, I thought it was going to be another epic defensive battle between these two teams, like like the, the two games they played in the regular season. But uh, late in the first quarter, uh, John Walford took a hit to the head that had, uh, made him go to the hospital, actually, from Jamal Adams. It didn't look too bad on, on the replay or during the game, but obviously if you just get hit the wrong way or you get hit in the wrong spot, it can mess you up pretty bad. So he had to get, he had to be taken to the hospital, uh, and Jared Goff came in. Goff couldn't, couldn't do too much uh, throwing-wise with his hand with those pins in his thumb, but they still had a, a pretty decent game plan. Cam Akers was just a workhorse at running back. He was getting the ball every down, grinding out three, four yards every run. Uh, he's definitely going to be uh, a, a stud running back in the league for years to come. Uh, so one of the things I noticed <laughs> – uh, in the first first half of this game was uh, DK was getting really frustrated. DK Metcalf, receiver for the Seahawks. He was getting really frustrated on that sideline over there. He was jawing with Pete Carroll. Um, it was just not good. And it, it seemed like he was really trying to trying to tell tell the, the coaches and, and Russ to get him the ball. And I think I think that's what led to that the that pick six by Russell Wilson. Um, where they, they they tried to set up that receiver screen to DK and Darius Williams just jumped the route and took it back for the pick six and that was like oh gosh DK that that's on you man but then obviously yeah they came back right after that drive and rushed through the forty yard touchdown to DK to tie it up again and from there I, I thought maybe you know the Seahawks were still in this thing but the Rams just. When they have a lead, they they know how to how to hang on to that. At halftime, I believe they were up around like seventeen to ten, something like that. And all I kept hearing the announcers say was, "McVeigh, thirty six and zero when he's leading at halftime." And I was like, "Oh God, are they going to jinx this thing? Are they really going to jinx it?" And no, they, they they did not. The Rams came out in the second half and they continued to do on offense what they wanted to do. Aaron Donald continued to be that game wrecker. He was Russell Wilson was running for his life. All all day, all game. I don't know how any quarterback could could succeed like that. Um, and I also think it's really noticeable of how Russ's play really dropped off in the the back nine second half of the season this year. Through the first eight games, he had he was on pace for like 55, 60 touchdowns, crazy amount of yards, and he just really kind of dropped off. Like he just he put up some ugly games, um, and this was definitely one of them. Seahawks fired uh, offensive coordinator Marty Schottenheimer after this game. Uh, he was definitely, uh, I don't know if he was, you know, as uninspired as Gase was this year, but it, from what I've heard from a lot of Seahawks fans is it was just every 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 series, run, run, pass, punt, run, run, pass, punt. And that's just not a, a recipe for success in the league today. Maybe next year they'll be back with a new OC, figure some figure some problems out they had this year, and they'll be they'll be back next year. But the Rams, uh, with with one quarterback out, one quarterback with one hand, able to take this game thirty to twenty, uh, the Rams get the win. Now I I wanted to point out this tweet from uh from Connor Hughes, the Athletics Jets beat reporter. I thought this was pretty funny. Uh, Quote, Jamal went through all that trouble to play one extra game and lose to a QB with one functional thumb, quote. And I thought that just perfectly sums up how Jets fans feel watching that game. It, was, it obviously it didn't matter too much, 
but it had some draft implications for us since we have that Seahawks first round pick. It was nice to see Jamal Adams catch a loss and our draft position improve. So officially, the Jets now hold the 23rd pick in the 2020 draft, or excuse me, 2021 draft, thanks to the Seattle's thanks to Seattle's early exit in the wild card round. So moving on to the to the late Saturday night game, we had the Bucks at Washington Football Team. Um, this was a really interesting game to watch. I had a lot of fun. It was, you know, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers going to Washington to play the 7-9 and nine football team. It was a really interesting game. Alex Smith, early Saturday morning, was ruled out with that calf injury that's been bothering him the past few weeks. Taylor Heineke got the start for Washington, and it was, uh, it was a fun game to watch. The Washington defense played okay uh, to start the game. The Bucks kind of lit him up for a few early scores. I think it was like like a 10 nothing, 13 nothing started off. And I got to say that uh that Tom Brady to Antonio Brown connection has really come on late into the season here. Uh Antonio Brown's caught five touchdowns in the past few weeks, and I think that's definitely going to be helpful with Mike Evans a little banged up and Godwin struggling with some drops. The Washington defense, I have to say, is going to be elite in a few years. Uh they definitely need another piece uh, in, like around the linebacking core, uh, but that defensive line is a, a front, man. Chase Young, Ryan Kerrigan, Montez Sweat, those are some dudes up there on the front four and definitely going to be a problem going into the future in the NFC East. So the, uh, the Washington football team offense started to get into a little bit of a groove in the second, but uh, the two, it was a little too late. This is just kind of how I thought the game was going to go before. Um, the Washington football team was going to take a while to get to get going, but the Bucks would already be humming coming out the gate. And they took a little bit of an early lead. They were missing some extra points. Um, but I got to say, Taylor Heineke would not be denied. He was really trying his best to keep his team in the game. He was, every single play, you could tell he was playing his heart out. It was only his, his, uh, his second career start in four years. And uh, late in the third, he took a nasty hit. And he had to end up going to the locker room. He was holding his shoulder, having some issues. And at that point, you were like, oh, man, this game's, this game's over. Like, Heineke was the only thing really keeping him in the game. Their, their backup to, to Heineke was um, an undrafted rookie who had never even played a snap in preseason or because of the no preseason this year. But Heineke came out of the tunnel, and it was, it was almost like, like, like something out of a movie. Like, oh, my God, is that Taylor Heineke's music? And he came back. They, they scored a touchdown. Uh, he he had this really sick play where he he took the ball from the ten yard line, diving touchdown, hit the pylon to make it like twenty eight to twenty three. But the Bucks got the ball back, kicked the field goal, and that was pretty much it from there. Uh, football team Cinderella story comes to an end, and the Bucks move on to the divisional round, thirty one to twenty three. But props to Taylor Heineke, and he will definitely be getting some looks next year. If not as a starter, definitely as a backup, because he showed some true heart, some true grit in that game. Got to respect it. So coming up next, we have the Ravens at Titans game, the first game from Sunday's slate. This was this was my favorite game going into Wild Card Weekend. I, I couldn't wait to see this one, and uh, I definitely got what I was looking for for this game. It, was, it wasn't as much offense as I was expecting. Uh, the defense has really stepped up in this game. Uh, both offenses started pretty slow until the uh, the Titans had the second drive. A.J. Brown was just getting getting involved in the passing game. He was catching everything, capping it off with a touchdown with some questionable offensive pass interference that was not called. 
I thought in the replay he his left arm was was shoving down Marlon Humphrey a little bit, but I'm not the referee, so after that the Ravens got the ball and Lamar threw a terrible pick. Uh, he kind of threw it up to I think it was Hollywood Brown was was running a, a post route or something and he just completely botched it. Malcolm Butler picked it off. It was his first playoff interception since 2014, and I can I, I can assume that you know what, what interception I'm talking about when I say Malcolm Butler. But uh, Titans took that and got some points off that and built an early 10 nothing lead. And at that point, the, the broadcast Twitter was blowing up all these stats about how Lamar had never come back down 10 nothing, how the Ravens are not built to play from behind; they're built to play with a lead, and Lamar shut everybody up. He had this beautiful run of 50 yards uh, late in the second quarter. Took it all the way out from the 50-yard line to the end zone. Just gl- was just gliding across the field. No one could touch him. No one could catch him. And that's why Lamar is still a superstar quarterback in this league. Um, it, I'm pretty sure it, it was tied up going into halftime 10-10. And the Ravens came out the gate in the third quarter strong. Offense was humming. And the Titans were sputtering. Uh what I noticed the most with the Titans offense is when Derrick Henry gets shut down, which he was, he was non-existent in this game on Sunday. The Ravens really did a good job of shutting him down. But when you shut down Derrick Henry, it also shuts down the Titans passing game. Tannehill can't make those throws when the Ravens are able to to uh, stop Henry with a four-man front and bring some more guys in coverage. It was definitely a rough day for the Titans. Um, the Ravens came out the gate strong. They were able to get some more points on the board, make it 17-13 uh, early in the fourth quarter. The most head-scratching part of this game for me came uh, early in the fourth, about 10 minutes left, and the Titans had the ball on the Baltimore 40-yard line, and it was fourth and two, and they are down four points. Now, Mike Vrabel decided to punt the ball. I'm really not sure why they were on the Baltimore 40. It, you got the best running back in the league. Why not just completely just send send the house six offensive linemen get your blocking tight ends in there and just see if you can get that first down but no they decided to punt it i'm really not sure why i don't know what the decision process that was there for but uh after that the ravens pretty much took the game they punted it ravens went down the field kicked another field goal and they're up a touchdown titans got the ball back but it was just too late Tannehill threw a game clinching interception and the ravens came out and danced on the tennessee titans logo just like the titans did uh, when they played in the regular season. It was a, a funny sight to see. Uh, I mean, obviously I'm not a Titans fan, so I don't feel too much of the disrespect, but I'm sure those Titans fans were pretty pissed about it. So the Ravens move on to the divisional round, and the Titans go home early this year. Uh, Ravens get the win 20-13. to I, I think the Packers really laid out the game plan to beat the Titans when they played in Week 16. Once you, once you shut down Derrick Henry, the entire offense just goes stagnant. Um, he is the focal point of the offense. Like, like they build the play-action game around him, around what he's able to do. And Henry, just with a stinker of a game, I believe he had like 12 carries for 24 yards, something like that. Uh, really a, a feather in the cap of Wink Martindale, defensive coordinator for the Ravens, and why I was hoping the Jets would get an interview with him, but uh, as, of, as of now, they, they really don't. So moving on to the next game. We had the Bears at Saints, which was definitely the snooze fest of wildcard weekend. Pretty boring game. The Saints, uh, they came out the gate hot, but really started to slow down. They only only got a touchdown on the board. Michael Thomas with, with his first touchdown catch of the season. 
7-0 early, and the Bears had a chance to to make this a game. On their second or third drive, they were on the the, the Saints' 40-yard line, and they had this little trick play where Trubisky was lined up as a receiver. It was a little wildcat formation. There were some laterals, some flips, and eventually Trubisky got the ball like 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage, and he threw it to, I believe it was Javon Wims, in the end zone, and it was actually a, a perfect ball. Like it was, it was the spiral, the lo- the wh- where it was coming down was perfect, and it went literally through Javon Wims's arms. Like if he catches this ball, we're talking about a totally different game right now. Like it, it would have been seven seven early in the first. Like that would have given the defense some juice. I think the Bears would have been able to stay out a little bit longer, but just a really poor execution there by the Bears offense. And after that. You just kind of knew it was over. They, they weren't going to sniff the end zone again. Um, there were some pretty ugly interceptions uh, by Drew Brees, uh, one, one, one of which was, was called back, which I thought was, was, was some BS. But, you know, ball don't lie. Uh, the, over the next few plays, Taysom Hill will throw a, an interception to a defensive tackle. Um, I also thought the refs had something in it for the Bears this game. They uh, they were calling a lot of personal foul penalties, a lot of little ticky-tack calls. I, I just didn't think it was a, a very fun game to watch. It was pretty boring, to be honest. Um, to end the half, Nike ran the ball three times in a row when they when it was, they were down 7-3. to three. No guts. Um, the Saints offense came out the gate third quarter. It wasn't doing too much. The Bears defense came to play. That's really all I got to say about this game. They were really trying, but Nagy and the Bears offense, just no guts, no nothing. They were just running the ball. David Montgomery up the middle for a yard or two three times in a row. It was just, just disgusting. I, I thought if you really don't have that much faith in Trubisky, just bench him for Foles. Like, obviously, Foles has some playoff experience as a quarterback. He, he, he's been able to, to have these magical runs in the, in the postseason. Why not just give him a shot? I mean... What do you have to lose? Like, seriously. Uh, <laughs> Mitch Trubisky was voted Nickelodeon, uh, excuse me, NVP. I say NVP, not MVP. Nickelodeon Valuable Player. I don't think he was legitimately voted that. I think some fans caught the caught the broadcast and were able to get onto that voting link and just spam Trubisky for the meme. Still pretty hilarious, but Trubisky pretty, pretty ugly. Uh, ugly game. So the Saints took that one, 21-9. They'll move on to the divisional round. So now for the last game of the evening, we have Browns at Steelers. This one going in, I thought, would definitely be one of the most entertaining games of the weekend. Uh, two teams with, a, with, a, with a, a really big history of rivalry. Browns and Steelers hate each other. It's always been like that. So kickoff happens. Steelers get it first. First play of the game, first and ten on the on their own 25. Marquise Pouncey snaps the ball over Big Ben's head. It goes all the way back to the two-yard line. James Conner tries to jump on it, kicks it back into the end zone, and the Browns' safety picks it up for the opening play touchdown. And a little piece of trivia for you here. It was the first time since Sam Darnold's first start where he threw that pick six against the Lions in 2018 where an NFL game uh, where there was a, a scoring play our defensive scoring play on the first play of the game, which is pretty interesting. Uh, so after that, Steelers got the ball back. Ben threw a pick. I mean, I, I say he threw a pick, but it was a tip ball. 
Jarvis Landry caught a 40-yard touchdown. Steelers offense couldn't do anything. Punted. Kareem Hunt touchdown. 21-zip late in the first. Ben throws another tip ball pick. Kareem Hunt, second touchdown of the night. And it's 28-0 before the end of the first quarter in Pittsburgh. And at this point, everyone's like, what the hell is going on, man? Like, this is the Steelers team. This is the team that went 11-0. I mean, albeit they lost four of their last five games, three of their last five, something like that. But still, it was just like... Wow. Um, the Browns scored one more touchdown in the second quarter before going into halftime 35 nothing, something like that. Um, and the Steelers actually came out of the gate in the in the second half kind of hot. They scored a few they scored two touchdowns. It was like 14 to 35. kicked a field goal. So going into the fourth quarter, as the clock expired, it was fourth and one at the 50 yard line for the Steelers. They're down 35 to 23. And they don't have too much time left to, to complete this comeback. And at this point in the game, Steelers had the momentum. Like, the Browns hadn't scored since since uh, early in the second quarter, and they just weren't doing anything on offense. So the Steelers had the ball, fourth and one, 50-yard line. And once again, Mike Tomlin decides to punt. For the second time today, a coach decides to punt when they really shouldn't be. Browns get the ball back, and Nick Chubb takes a screen to the house about 30, 40 yards, and it's 42 to 23. And at this point, the game was just pretty much out of reach. Um, it's really unfortunate to see the Steelers go out like this. Uh, potentially Big, ben, Big Ben's last game of his career. Um, but once again, got to laugh at the Steelers a little bit. <laughs> uh, Juju did all that talking during the week about how the Browns are the Browns, and then they just came out and punched him in the mouth. Um, really unfortunate. Uh, it's it's good to see this this uh, the the Browns make it deeper into the playoffs for the first time since the '90s. Good for them. Gives me hope that the Jets are going to be able to turn it around sometime soon. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was Wild Card Weekend. I went four and two in my picks uh, prior to prior to these games. I I missed up on the uh, I picked the Seahawks to win. Rams got that win, and I also picked the Steelers to win, and the Browns were able to pull off that upset. Now we'll move on to the divisional round, which is going to be a very impressive, fun slate, fun slate of games this weekend. I can't wait for these games. Uh, kicking off Saturday, we have the Rams at the Packers. Packers are seven-point favorites. It's going to be in Lambeau. It's going to be about 20 degrees with wind speeds of 7 miles per hour. No snow, no rain. Uh, Goff was a full participant in practice this week, coming off that thumb injury. Maybe he'll be able to throw the ball a bit more, a bit better in this game. But the one thing I am worried about is Aaron Donald is got a little banged up in that Seahawks game. He had a rib injury late in the third quarter that uh, kept him from coming back into the game, but they didn't even need him at this point. Um, this week in, uh, at Sean McVay's press conference, when, when asked about uh, Aaron Donald and his availability for, for the divisional round on Saturday, uh, I, I love this quote from McVay. Uh, quote, unless something unforeseen happens, the Terminator will be ready, quote. And I think that's a, a perfect way to, perfect nickname for Aaron Donald, the Terminator, the, the best defensive player in the league at this point in time. Uh, the Packers just signed left tackle Jared Valdir off the Colts practice squad, who started last week for the Colts because uh, Anthony Costanzo had that ankle surgery. Um, and fun fact, he will be the first player in NFL history to start two playoff games for two different teams which is uh, a pretty impressive and uh, pretty awesome for Jared Valdir. Um, so 
going to this game, you have to respect the Rams' defense and what they did to Russell Wilson last week, one of the best quarterbacks in the league right now. But I just don't think that they'll they'll be prepared to play in Lambeau in this cold. They're a Los Angeles team. They're used to the warm weather. Um, I think we're going to have a really fun matchup with uh, Devontae Adams versus Jalen Ramsey. That's going to be a battle, man. Two of the best of their positions in the league going at it. Um, I think the Rams' key to winning this game would be to run the ball, uh, keep keep giving Cam Akers, Malcolm Brown, Daryl Henderson if he can play, keep giving them the ball, see what they can do, keep Aaron Rodgers on the sideline. But Aaron Rodgers is a bad man, and I, I don't think he'll be bowing out this early getting after getting that first first seed uh i'm, I'm going to take the packers 27 to 17 the rams go home and the packers move on so saturday night is the best game of the weekend hands down we have the ravens going to to buffalo to take on the bills bills are a two and a half point favorite and we are getting a snow game ladies and gentlemen we're getting a snow game it's going to have some uh some, some brutal Brutal weather. It's going to be 29 degrees with a wind speed of 10 miles per hour and a 50% chance of snow, about 1 to 3 inches. Um, Lamar's actually never played in a snow game before in his career as a football player, high school, college, uh, pro level. Um, the, the way the Bills played last Saturday, I'm really not sure if they can beat the Ravens or not. They're, they are definitely still a great team. Josh Allen's still one of the better quarterbacks in the league right now, but I just I really like the matchup the Ravens have against them. If, if the Colts' defense was able to slow down Buffalo as much as they did, I think the Ravens' defense will be able to do a much better job, and they'll be able to just run the ball all over the Buffalo defense. Um, we've got another great receiver corner matchup. Marlon Humphrey versus Stephon Diggs, another two. Two of the best players at their position going at it one-on-one. Going to be uh, really fun to watch. But I think the Ravens will be able to run the ball effectively against the Bills. Lamar, Dobbins, uh, Gus, Gus Bradley, maybe Mark Ingram if he plays. I just think they'll be able to keep the, keep the Bills on the sideline, keep the offense off the field, and tire that defense out on route to a victory. I'll take the Ravens 23-20. to uh, Definitely going to be a, a really fun game to watch. I'll be getting the popcorn out for that one. Kicking off Sunday slated games, we have the Cleveland Browns going to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs. Chiefs, nine-and-a-half-point home favorite. Uh, Arrowhead Stadium is going to be 27 degrees with a wind speed of four miles per hour. No no rain, no snow. It's going to be the Browns' first time in the division round since 1994. Um, the Chiefs starters have two weeks of rest because uh, they clinched that first seed in week, week 16. So week 17, they, they sat most important players. I don't think this is going to be uh, too too big of a, of a close game. I think the Chiefs are going to win pretty easily unless they – they uh, come out slow, come out sluggish off their rest, which I don't think they will. I think uh, Kevin Stefanski is going to be outcoached by Andy Reid, a, a coach who's been in the playoffs multiple times throughout his long career. I think it's just going to be a mismatch of offense and coaching. Um, the Browns' key to success is going to be, like every other, every other underdog team this weekend, is just run the ball. You got two of the best running backs in the game on your on your team. You got Nick Chubb, you got Kareem Hunt. Keep the Chiefs offense off the field and try and win the game that way. Miles Garrett must get after Mahomes, must make him make some stupid throws if the, if the Browns want to win this game. Unfortunately for the Browns, uh, I think their playoff run ends here. The Chiefs are just going to be outgunning them. 
uh, I'll take the Chiefs 34 to 23 in what is probably most likely not too close of a game. But that's also, that's also what I said last week with the Steelers, and the Browns proved me wrong then. So we'll see what happens. So the last game of the divisional round is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going to New Orleans to play the Saints. No other impl implications there because, you know, Superdome. But this is a battle between two football legends, Drew Brees and Tom Brady. Um, the Saints obviously swept them in the regular season 2-0 in the first game, 37-27. Second game, 37-3. I don't think this is going to be a blowout or uh, a convincing win by either team. Considering how the Saints played last week, which was pretty pretty bad, pretty slow against that Bears team, um, I think it's going to be really close coming down to the end. Uh, it, I think that their teams match up very, very well against each other. Both offenses are pretty solid. Both defenses are pretty good. I think it's going to be around a, a mid-20 mid scoring game, but in the end, uh, I'm going to take the, Buc uh, excuse me, the New Orleans Saints at home against this this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. Brady goes home in the divisional round. Uh, I'll take the Saints 27-23. Alright guys, that's all we're going to have today for the Breath of Fresh Jets podcast. I cannot wait for this this uh, this next round of playoffs this weekend. going to be a lot of fun games, a lot of superstars coming out to play, a lot of really good matchups. I can't wait to see them all. Um, Remember, we are now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever podcasts may be available. If you get the chance, please like and subscribe. It will only help growing my podcast and getting it out there to more people who can listen. If you're listening, I really appreciate it if you stayed all the way to the end, and I hope you come back next week for our next episode. Thank you, guys, and go Jets.